Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So in this video today, I sort of want to debunk the the statement in, in the title of this video that silver is, for all intents and purposes, a dead asset in today's day and age that is only going to rise every 30 years. You know, if you buy it at the right point and, and, and you know, you hold on to it, you can kind of catch, you know, magic in a bottle. I want to debunk that and instead kind of present my thesis for why I think, you know, silver where it is today in the $16 range is much better described as, you know, a spring that that is being compressed more and more. And eventually the, you know, whatever it is, there's a variety of forces, but whatever it is that is exerting this force on this spring of a market, eventually that's going to be removed and we can expect it to, uh, to to spring open okay uh and i kind of want to pre- present that thesis in in this video today i mean you know to i get where people are coming from especially if you look at a very recent chart for silver you know just over the last oh couple years you see a lot of sideways trading for silver in fact you know something since something like february of this year silver has been in a very tight trading range for the most part in between 17 dollars and 16 dollars with i think maybe one or two exceptions okay so so i get that that to somebody that maybe doesn't quite understand some of the other underlying factors going forward uh kind of surrounding precious metals and and asset prices in general i get it that that this might make sense that you know we had this huge spike of course we're looking at a a silver price history chart we had this huge spike back in around 1980 when when the hunt brothers were cornering the silver market and this chart doesn't even perfectly reflect it because it's just kind of a monthly i don't know monthly average or end or beginning of month price and you know in reality that when, when they attempted to corner the market it actually, I think, briefly topped $50. And of course, we have the spike in 2011. But in between that, we have mostly you know, barren wasteland. I mean, look at this. And this is not inflation adjusted at all. And that's kind of a sad thing about the spark chart. But you can look at you know, where it was in 1989, you know, roughly around $5. And it's pretty much unchanged all the way until 2003. That's, you know, that's 13, 14 years of basically nothing out of the silver market. But, you know, just because that happened in the past doesn't mean that it's going to happen again. In fact, in this video, I want to present a lot of evidence for why I think, um, you know, this trend upwards kind of since, you know, 2003 is is eventually going to continue. You know that that this uh, drop down from from where it was in 2011, uh, maybe not totally unexpected, especially when you consider what it, you know what the forces were that were sending silver higher during this period of time. Um, but I definitely don't think that that we're just going to deal with a bunch of plateaus until you know what like uh, t- 2040 or something like that. Um, I think a good place to start. I mean, when you think of of silver, you know, and, and stacking silver and buying silver, you know, some people have this idea in their head that they're going to get rich off of it. They they, they see it purely as, you know, not necessarily a, a get rich quick scheme, but but something that is going to leave them incredibly wealthy, you know, beyond all their wildest dreams. They see it as, you know, an investment. You know, not unlike people that, you know, might invest in I don't know, Bitcoin, wherever it is, wherever it is today, hoping that one day it's going to be at, you know, a million dollars, right? And and they're going to be able to to you know, buy a private island and retire on that island. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of that kind of comes from, from, I don't know, outlandish price predictions, in some ways outlandish, but, but also, um, 
I think maybe not enough reinforcement that yes, silver, in, in my opinion, can be an investment. I mean, you're not collecting some sort of a yield on it. You're not collecting a, a dividend, something that you might do with, with a stock or a yield with a, a bond, but it's also an asset that you can buy in hopes of of selling eventually at a higher price. I mean, is it an investment in that sense? But I think there's a lack of emphasis among some people in, in this community or in this uh, segment of the media on silver and gold being a hedge, right? That silver and gold, if nothing else, are going to go up in price because the price of fiat is going to go down. And, and of course, you know, believe me, that's that's kind of, I don't know, my bearish case for silver, that it's just going to keep pace with inflation. In reality, I think it's going to significantly outpace inflation. Um, I want to make that very clear. But I want to at least show you in this video today why I think that, that if nothing else, silver and gold are going to at least keep up with the eventual collapse of you know, the world fiat currencies, including or, or especially the U.S. dollar. So uh, the first chart I want to show you here is, and again, kind of showing you the difference, differences between, you know, the 90s and today. Uh, this is the total public, as you can see, total public debt compared to the GDP. Okay. And, and this is from Q4 of 2017. So it's a little bit outdated, of course. This is from you know St. Louis Fed, so you you think we maybe updated to to Q one at least of this year. But anyways, um, you get the picture here. You know for a long time, and and you know if we go on, a, I, I don't know if they'll, yeah they won't open up anymore for us. But you know going back to to the sixties, you know maybe this was still some post World War II debt and some other things going on here. But basically, you know by by the seventies we have a very low national debt compared to GDP in the thirties. You know. But then kind of 1980 onwards, and, and this kind of coincides with, with some action by the Federal Reserve as well as the, the end of the, the gold standard, which you know happened back in, uh, you know, in the 70s, you see it slowly rise and slowly rise until you know, post-2008. It's just gone crazy. It's gone exponentially higher. And, and you know, even today, the, the um, uh, public debt is, is you know, just barely, it's at 100% compared to GDP, which is which is um, insane, uh, and yet AA can go uh, much, much higher. I mean, think of, of what this recession, admittedly a, a pretty terrible recession, but think of what that did to debt to GDP and just imagine what a similar event would do. Um, an, another great chart to really drive home this part, drive home this point would be uh, U.S. government debt, right? Um, it has gone parabolic. I mean, it's, it's, you know, really, again, kind of around that point in the seventies, when we got rid of, of the gold standard, you start to see this no longer be maybe flat or, or a linear increase. Instead, you have a exponential increase, right? And sure, we get a little bit of, of, um, I don't know, reprieve from it for a little bit here, late nineties, early 2000. And and maybe a little bit one here, but for the most part, you're seeing it's it, it doesn't take a genius to see where this chart is going next, right? It, it's not going down, it's not going flat, it's going up, up, up. And and you know you might be asking like, okay, yeah, Matt, I know this debt is out of control, right? Public debt or or whatever segment of the economy we're talking about, it's out of control. What does that have to do with silver? But I mean, we we have to think about what our currency is kind of made of in the first place. In many ways, you know, I've heard it described, and I have to agree that that the U.S. dollar is is dependent on, and 
really based on a, a debt type of system, you know, a debt-based system, right? This is a system that grows because of an increase in debt. You know, a great a great chart to, to kind of drive this point home would be this one right here, all right? This is all sectors of the economy uh, debt, basically. And so so I'm assuming we have we have government debt in here, we have corporate debt, we have consumer debt, okay, the three big segments. And and what you can see again, kind of a parabolic rise here. Maybe not maybe not quite as dramatic as this one, but but a parabolic rise nonetheless. And yet during this period of time, we, we have a bit of a decrease. And what happens when this debt, you know, we, we actually have a bit of deflation here rather than inflation? The entire world economic system almost fell apart because of this one little hiccup. Okay. It's it's um that's the way that our economy is is based today. It's not based on on saving, or or uh, you know wise investments or or anything like that. Um, our economy is based on debt. You know, and and you can think of it at, at a consumer level, a corporate level, a, a government level. But it comes down to spending, consuming, and debt. Okay, so so think about it as as you as a consumer. Okay, um, let's say you are whatever you're you're, you're um. 40 years old, you have, you know, that the, the stereotypical family and whatever. And let's say you have, I don't know, your mortgage paid off. And let's say you have no debt and, and you have a, a decent job that, you know, for the most part, you're able to save some money and, and you're able to consume and whatever. All right. You, you are in a good position financially. You're, you're probably able to put away some for, for retirement, hopefully maybe some into precious metals. Uh, now, what happens if you suddenly take out a I don't know, $20,000 loan. You want to buy a, a relatively new car, okay? You've taken on $20,000 of debt, but but for your financial situation, your savings, the the, the fact that, that you're, you probably have pretty good credit history, you have no debt currently, it's not going to affect you significantly. But think of what that does for the economy. I mean, it's, it's $20,000 of consumption that otherwise would not have existed. You would have lived within your means, but instead you've taken out $20,000 of debt, you've taken out a loan, you've bought a car, and now that spending has gotten towards, you know, the, the car dealership, the manufacturer, the, the, uh, the, the people that work at that factory, uh, you know, the advertising and, and on and on and on. You can go back to, to the people that, um, helped you know, mine and, and produce that iron ore and steel. Maybe these people are, are in, in China or Mexico or the United States, but, but long story short, that debt creation has fueled economic growth. Okay. But that's make no mistake. When, when I say our economy is, is adding debt, we are not in that situation of, of the 40 year old with a stable, healthy financial situation, debt free, adding a you know, reasonably small amount of debt compared to the size of, you know, a mortgage or, or, you know, God forbid, student loan debt. Uh, don't even get me started on that because I have a fair amount um, that, that I, I wish I could address now. But, but, you know, such as the life of a grad student, but but that's not that's not where we are today. Okay, uh, the the U.S. economy we're more like the the um, okay we can say forty year old okay has a decent job makes the same amount of money, but they have a mortgage that they've not worked a whole lot towards. Maybe they only bought a house at at thirty or thirty five, you know, rather than twenty or something like that. They have a car loan, and so they're making the car payment. They have a lot of credit card debt 
right? Um, and, and, you know, whatever else. I mean, maybe they still have uh, some student loan debt as well and, and maybe some other line of credit. All right. So they have a ton of debt. They're barely able to make up on, you know, barely able to make the payments on that debt. Is it a good idea for them to take out more debt? No. I mean, if you're in that situation, hopefully you'd be like, no, we need to get, you know, what we have under control. Maybe make some more money, cut back on spending somewhere on, on, on things that we don't necessarily need, uh, cut back on some of the wants and, and start paying off that debt. But that's not what we as an economy, really the world economy, China, Europe, you know, that's not what we're doing, Right. We're getting those letters in the mail from from credit card companies that that want to sign us up for a new credit card, six months, zero percent interest, and and you know a generous line of credit. We are signing up for every single one of those. That's what our economy is doing today, and and guess what? All this spending fuels the economy, right? And so and so our government, our our central banks, whatever, they're more than happy to encourage more and more debt creation because as you can see in this chart, if this debt creation stops, if people start to pay off their debts or, or stop taking out new loans or companies or the government can come back and spending, whatever happens, um, when you have less debt creation and thus less economic growth, things start to implode, okay? And so where does this leave us? You know, as an economy, as as maybe a central bank with with trying to, I don't know, guide uh, the, the decisions of consumers, corporations, the government. Um, it leaves them with two choices. Either they can try, or either, either they can allow kind of what happened here, this this deflation because people are so loaded with debt and they're starting to, to you know, default on their loan payments, um, have, have, you know, they're getting foreclosed on, they're, they're getting their car repossessed. They, they either can allow this deflation as as bankruptcies occur and, and debt is basically wiped off the balance sheet of, of consumers, corporate corporations, whatever. Or they can avoid that by making sure that this debt stream um, continues to increase at an exponential pace. And so what does that mean? Like what does that mean? When when um you know when you take out a twenty thousand dollar loan for, for this relatively new car, where is that money coming from? It's coming from banks, right? But but where did the banks get that money from? Did they get it from from those that have deposited into the banks? You know, maybe to some extent. But but this is the big problem here. Uh, one of the big problems here: fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking allows banks to lend out, um, you know, something like ten times or, or up to a hundred times greater than their deposits. And so, you know, when you're taking that $20,000 loan out, you're not, you know, the, the bank, most of that money is being created out of nowhere. It's an inflationary uh, event, right? And so when this happens on the grander scale, you're having a lot of inflation. And so if this debt bubble has to continue to grow to keep the economy alive over the short term, and this is a very short-sighted goal, right? Just like with a consumer that's trying to, to take out more and more debt eventually to, to not only fuel their lifestyle, but just to pay off their, their current debt payments. It's very short-sighted, right? It's not going to end well. Um, in the case of the consumer, eventually they're going to default. But if you have something like the Federal Reserve System, in place and fractional reserve banking, this can go on indefinitely, right? But what's the big problem here? You're going to have a greater and greater amount of, of currency created out of nothing as that is created. 
and you're going to have massive amounts of inflation, okay? And so, you know, bringing this full circle, again, I'm not making the case for silver to to necessarily greatly outpace this inflation, right? I think it will, but I'm at least making the case that, hey, you know, it's not hard to see from, from a chart like this or from a chart like this where debt, the future amount of debt in the economy or government is heading and what that means for the value of the U.S. dollar, okay? And so as the price or as the value of the U.S. dollar collapses as this debt just gets out of out of control, you, you I mean, you can expect asset prices to rise, okay? Now, in the case of the stock market, yeah, maybe the Dow Jones will rise for some to some extent, you know, with this inflation, but but this inflation is not healthy for the sorry, healthy for the economy. Eventually the economy is not going to be able to sustain this. It's going to be in an inflationary crisis or or collapse. Okay, the the stock market can be inflated indefinitely, but but it doesn't mean those companies will survive such a crisis. And and you know, bonds, another very popular currency or sorry, very, another very popular investment or asset to own. Um bonds i mean sure maybe they'll be around maybe the u.s government won't default on its debt but what are you i mean what is the u.s government in the case of u.s treasury bonds what are they paying you in when those bonds ultimately mature they're they're paying you in u.s dollars and if those u.s dollars aren't worth anything is the bond really worth anything and and it's it's kind of intuitive you know if i were to get into why you shouldn't necessarily just be all in cash, all in fiat currency, because the fiat currency itself is going to be eroded. And yet something like silver or gold, they don't deal with that problem. You know, there's there's no counterparty risk. Um, there isn't a company that can collapse. Uh, US, or, sorry, uh, silver and gold, they're, they're not denominated. I mean, it's it's a physical asset, you know, on like a bond where, where it's, you know, denominated in a given fiat uh, currency, right? And so, it's you know it's not difficult to look at these charts i can go into more detail about this you know i could talk about how you know this increase in debt is one issue but but another big issue would be um the massive amounts of u.s dollars that are held overseas and, and what happens when these u.s dollars a lot of which were sent out you know kind of during periods of, of quantitative easing what happens when those dollars find their way back home you know what happens when when large banks central banks governments etc abroad decide to sell off those u.s dollars because hey guess what they're quickly losing their value right um or, or maybe they need to to you know defend their own currency from from total you know collapse uh, what does that mean for the U.S. dollar as well? I mean, it's it's, it's just going to be more and more inflation, right? Selling more and more dollars onto the market. Another great chart to kind of drive this point home, to to kind of prove that we are in exceptional exceptional times. This is a chart of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Okay, and again, we're talking about money being created out of nothing here. The Fed balance sheet, basically, you know, it's assets that they own. Okay, uh, for the most part, what they're owning today is Treasury bonds. And mortgage-backed securities, you know, they're they're financial assets ba- that are, that are basically um, uh, mortgage-backed, I guess. You know, uh, it, it, they're tied to to mortgages, I guess. You know, um, that's the best way, I guess, I could quickly explain it. And and uh, you know, in many ways, you know, they're similar to bonds in the sense that they, you know they mature, they have you know a yield or an interest rate. Anyways, that's mostly what they what they own. Okay. 
and and you know to buy those assets you know as as you can see during quantitative easing round one uh two and three they had to print that money out of nowhere i mean they created that money they, they don't print it they, they create it digitally and basically at a push of a button that money is deposited into oftentimes um large banks you know balance sheet but again an inflationary policy okay and you know this is what the fed had to do to respond to to the the uh, great recession the financial crisis they had to increase their balance sheet to roughly you know almost a trillion dollars ultimately up to around four and a half trillion dollars what happens when we have a similar scale event i mean you can expect them to increase it by another you know three and a half uh you know, four, five, six, seven, eight trillion dollars. And again, what does that mean for the US dollar? And additionally, what does that mean for the price of silver? Okay. You know, just because this is what silver did in the past does not mean that that is what it's going to be doing in the future. And and, and believe me, this is, this is just one, I guess, side of not, not not side i guess one point that i like to drive home in terms of why i believe silver is one of if not the most undervalued asset on the face of the earth debt and and the, and what ever rising debt means for uh fiat currencies essentially that they're going to continue to be eroded we could get into to, to greater topics about this we can talk about the paper silver markets uh massive amounts of, of open interest in the futures markets um, we, we could talk about the physical, um, I guess, aspects of, of the silver market and, and how uh, for, for a long time now, uh, silver uh, demand has outpaced supply. Another great point to talk about here during this period of time is uh, perhaps one of the greatest suppression, one of the greatest ways to suppress the silver market, you know, over the last uh, maybe 60, 70 years, dating back to really post-World War II. Uh, and that is governments and central banks dumping their silver reserves onto the market. I'm talking billions and billions of ounces from the U.S. government, from, from places like China, um, Japan, a lot of European countries. You know, countries used to have silver reserves, you know, much like they have gold reserves today or or even, uh, you know, crude oil reserves in the case of some countries. They had that with silver as well. I mean, remember, silver used to be money. It still is money, in my opinion, but it used to be, you know, legal tender here in the United States uh, 19, prior to 1964, I believe it was, or maybe it ended in 1964. They had, you know, 90% silver coinage. That was the case in a lot of other countries around the world. But these governments sold these billions of ounces of silver onto the market. And, you know, what kind of effect is that going to have on the price of silver? I mean, think about it. I mean, you're increasing supply. You know, if you if if you're a believer in the whole idea of supply and demand, which has kind of been distorted with with paper markets today, but but if you have a massive amount of physical supply dumped onto the market, that's going to drive down the price. But but again, another reason that today is different. Well, governments don't really own much silver anymore. In fact, you know, officially. Governments have basically reported that they have some silver on hand, you know, for for maybe minting purposes, and that's it. And, and you know, maybe some other governments have a, a a decent amount of silver on hand, you know, much like they would hoard gold. Uh, countries like you know Russia, we know Russia has some silver bullion, uh, or just massive bars of silver. Maybe China does, you know, maybe some other countries as well. But it's nothing compared to what they had. I would guess that it's nothing compared to what they had prior to to when they 
really, you know, dumped it on the markets, you know. So it's another thing that that is, you know, different. People talk about the suppression of the price of silver and and how it's, you know, oftentimes they'll point to the the paper markets and there's some truth to that, but we have to remember the the decades uh, several, several decades in which physical silver was used to suppress the price of silver because maybe it's intentional, maybe not, but they dumped all this onto the market. And of course, that's going to drive down the price of silver. Again, another reason that today is different, why it's different this time. So, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. Um, you know, wh what's your take on silver? Um, and, and, you know, do, do you buy into this theory that it, it's basically going to be trading sideways again for the next 30, 20 years, whatever, or, you know, do, do you think that maybe I just, maybe I have a point here talking about what, uh, an ever rising amount of debt and, and of course a weakening economy and, and, and all that, that goes along with it. Um, what that means for fiat currencies and additionally what that means for, precious metals so um as always i'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for for watching this video for supporting my channel hopefully liking it commenting interacting you know all of those things very appreciative of that and god bless